right, DJ Anubis here. And DJ Necro. Middle Time Radio Podcast. And we have special guests, Sophus. If I pronounce that right, Sophus, Sophus. Yeah, I say Sophus, too. So we have Davis and Helge, uh, guitarist. And Davis, I believe your vocals and programming. Is that correct? Yep, correct. Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, so you guys are out of Alberta, Canada, and uh, a lot of great many bands came from out there and still have, so that's a good scene. What is the scene like out there as far as metal is concerned? Um, you can go first, Hogan. Uh, it's a small but very tight group. Um, there's not, there's, it seems like there's new bands every, every year. Um, uh, there's a lot of younger people nowadays. By younger, I mean like mid twenties, um, forming bands and playing shows. Cool. And it's in all of our major cities here, pretty much. Cool. Cool. Any comments, Davis? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that sums it up. It's uh, small and tight scene, particularly in Edmonton, um, Calgary. It's got like triple the population, so it's a little bit bigger there now. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it kind of shrunk a bit when, uh, you know, during the pandemic, but uh, yeah. it's, uh, it's rebounding now for sure. Yeah, COVID really messed with a lot of stuff. I went like touring and, and stuff like that for metal bands and bands in general, but metal really gets hurt because <laughs> they kind of rely so much on that stuff. Uh, so when it comes to your band name, Selfis, uh, how, how did you come about it and what does it mean? Yeah, I mean, basically it just, uh, just one of those things where it basically popped into my head. Um, uh, probably one of the first and only names I really thought of using. Um, basically it's just like, you know, a sophist or, Somebody that's using sophistry. It's just the use of clever and false arguments to deceive people. Um, it's, it's, I don't know. I thought it was better than calling your band like Deceiver or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I often run into that occasionally when I'm looking up bands. Like, there's like 12 or 15 of them with the same name. Like, come on, guys. I'm going to get original here. Just please. Um, so your music's been described as black metal and sort of like grindcore. Would that be an accurate statement to make? Yeah, I think now there's um, some more death metal elements that are kind of appearing um, in the stuff we're working on. And also adding more electronic uh, elements as well. Um, definitely like the first EP and the first album were really... Uh, deep into black metal and grindcore sound and then since then it's been been adding those other elements a bit more nice nice uh now i know it's not unheard of but like you guys released both dissolution and future faction in the same year is there any reason why you do that like you not just hold on to stuff or it's just because you had all the material there and you just wanted to get it out like what was the purpose of two albums in the same year yeah, I mean, the point with this band was always just, we just wanted to do lots of recording. Um, it's been a studio project since it started. Um, so yeah, we haven't 
been playing live or anything like that. So the whole point was always just, you know, we want to do lots of recording. And in 2019 and 2020, when those were recorded and released, that was, uh, we were all living in the same city still and we had lots of time to, uh, meet up and work on that. And yeah, we just really enjoyed it. So we just, uh, kept doing it. Nice. Uh, do you guys have any particular like influences that influence the music or you lyrically or just in general? Yeah, sure. Helgi, do you want to start? Yeah, there's a, a great, uh, I suppose, gamut of, of, uh, performers that I enjoy. Um, and, uh, it, that changes a lot. Uh, by changing, I mean, it gets broader because I work in, uh, music production a lot. So I'll see, I'll meet guitar players from, you know, a country on Tuesday, a metal band on Thursday, another metal band on Saturday, and some string instrument players from some orchestra or some kids show on Sunday, you know, and uh, they, they all, have something to contribute to, uh, even if you just hear their opinion. Okay. What, what, what do you like? What, what shapes your, your, um, your compositions? What shapes what you're doing, you know? And, uh, a lot of these guys, um, it's surprising. And everybody likes Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> and, um, as for me, I like the same music as, uh, not the same music entirely as the other two fellas, but, um, there's a great many crossover acts that we, that we really like, that we all really like. And then, uh, other people will bring stuff to the table. Like I like traditional metal, speed metal, pretty much any kind of metal. Uh, my favorite guitar player, uh, was Randy Rhodes for a metal guitar player. And, um, I like all of it. I like all guitar music. So Sophist gave me a chance to, to tap into everything. Mm-hmm. So I started out on cello when I was, I think, five years old, uh, in classical music and, uh, moved to guitar when I was probably 14. 14 or 15 years old, I think 14. And, um, after that, um, I played in, uh, all kinds of different bands, hard rock bands, metal bands, industrial metal bands, all kinds of things. Right. But, uh, something that we're all, what we can all agree on is, uh, that industrial metal, we haven't really seen like as far as I, uh, I'm thinking in my exposure to it, I think there's a lot of room there. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Some of my inspirations, um, yeah, I mean, take a lot of influence from, uh, you know, I mean, for this project, take a lot of influence from, uh, Grand Core and, uh, 
black metal bands. Um, I remember, I think in 2016, I was kind of talking to some people looking to start something like this, maybe even a little earlier than that. Um, and it didn't really wind up happening until about 2019. But, uh, but yeah, like uh, uh, Napalm Death, Rotten Sound. Um, Napalm Death. Yeah. So those are probably the two of the biggest ones on the grindcore thing. Um, and now on the Thrack, which is already pretty much a black metal grindcore band, that's definitely one of my uh, one of my favorites. Um, do you like the um, Do you like the direction that Anal Nathrak has gone within the last four or five records? Yeah, I pretty much like uh, all of their albums. I think their whole discography is really good. Um, and uh, an associated act to that is uh, Fuck Pig. They're really good too. Um, yeah, I definitely enjoy them and take some influence from those. Um, and then, uh, as far as black metal goes, um, huge Dark Throne fan. Uh, I like all eras of their stuff. Um, and definitely, uh, particularly on the first album, Dissolution and Betrothal to the Stone, Conception of Mephisto, that EP. I think, uh, production wise, I took a lot of, uh, inspiration from, uh, from their stuff. Um, obviously, key difference being the, the drums, because ours are programmed, but, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, yes, Satyricon. Um, then on the metal side, like Suffocation. Yeah. One of my favorites there. Suffocation is so great live, too. So great. I think the last time I saw them was Metal Fest Mexico last year. Oh wow! But um, yeah. So when you when you uh, when we're sitting around talking, it's uh, pretty amazing. Like just the sheer number of of bands that we can talk about and obscure projects that we can talk about too. I don't know how obscure it is, but I like. Uh, I think it's called Thorns. I like mm-hmm. that one. Yeah, yeah, a lot. Very good one. Yeah, um, it was interesting. You brought up the whole like industrial because there is a lot of room there. Because really, when it comes to my thought about like, I know, you know, Fear Factory always been a long term in there, even though they've kind of progressed beyond what they started out at. But you had uh, what was Shane's like band, uh, Meat Hook Seed was very cool. Uh, they were doing some stuff. So yeah, I think it's kind of cool that you decide to kind of go in there and make your way. You can broaden that uh, genre a little bit. And the big, big one, probably, for that genre that we know here in North America is probably ministry, right? Yeah. And I don't know, a lot of people don't consider them to be uh, metal, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, they're, one... they're pretty versatile. I mean, they've done some stuff that's probably more rock-oriented, but then they pretty... have, like, the uh, NWO song, you know, and just like, you know, and then I think of stuff like Godflesh, too, you know, so there's a lot of different stuff in there. But yeah, Ministry, I, they're great live, too. I seen them years ago, so. I think I worked, I worked with them about three, four years ago, just setting up their show and taking it back out, but uh, um, I think Just One Fix, mm-hmm. ministry, that, that Ministry track, that's pretty metal. The guitar yeah. playing is pretty metal in that, right? Yeah. Very thrashy. 
and uh, I, I really like thrash metal too. All kinds of all kinds of uh, metal, pretty much over here. But um, I like the traditional Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, Ozzy Osbourne, Black Sabbath stuff. But I think uh, early on, I heard like the first Megadeth. I think it was on vinyl, like that was a long time ago, like when it first came out. We heard that, and that was a big game changer. And I think the same year for me was like Slayer, Merciful Fate, stuff like that, all in around the same time because it was a it was a big year for uh, that kind of music. Mm-hmm. I think that was 1983 or 84, and uh, that totally changed my way of thinking about guitar rhythm that's for sure like uh merciful fate is a big big deal over here (laughs) i got um i think everything merciful fate uh every recording of merciful fate here someplace nice i've got one other influence that i definitely cannot forget to mention um this indonesian band called keckle that i've been listening to forever Oh, I want you to hold on to that thought because I have some questions with you about that. Okay, sure. Pretty, pretty obscure band, um, and really, really like interesting and insane discography. Um, just, just like covering almost like every genre of music out there mm-hmm. in some way or another. It's a pretty good one. Now you said that uh, Softus is basically a studio band. So is this just your primary uh, baby, or do you have like other projects you're involved in, or how's that work? Yeah, this is the primary one for me now. Um, there was a Edmonton death metal band before this, uh, Cryosphere. Um, yeah, we played some shows and did a small, small couple of tours. Um, and, uh, I was also, uh, in a Edmonton band here called With Malice, um, and that was a while ago now, and, uh, then, uh, kind of before Sophus started and before the pandemic, we did a death metal band called, uh, Sallow Regent, um, I was with, uh, Brent Bell from here, who's also in Cryosphere and with Malice. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that, uh, I enjoyed that. It had some, some potential, I think, but ultimately the pandemic killed it. And uh, our one guitar player and songwriter was from Calgary, and he just kind of stopped coming up here because it's like a three-hour drive. Oh, wow. And uh, just because just, uh, I think his uh, work situation changed. And then, uh, our, uh, other guitar player, which is also Michael from, from this band, um, he moved to, uh, moved to, uh, Kamloops as well in BC. So it's, uh, distance and the pandemic kind of killed that one, unfortunately. But, and now, now I'm just content with, uh, studio projects, to be honest. So, uh, yeah, maybe, uh, Elgie wants to talk about his, his stuff now. Um, I get asked to play guitar on some stuff. I'll probably be doing some fill-in gigs for some people around town now that shows have started again. There's a there's a few people whose schedules have changed and they can't make every show, so 
we get together on Mondays sometimes here. Um, we go to like a local pub in the giant mall, West Edmonton Mall, and we talk about metal and we talk about what everybody's doing. And, you know, they come to me with some technical problems maybe or something that some can work some old boy magic and fix for them or whatever. And, uh, or vice versa. They can work some young, young guy magic and fix something for me. So, um, I might play some fill-in stuff. Um, there might be some more projects coming up. Nobody's really um, used to the idea that we can play out again mm-hmm. yet. Mm-hmm. And work schedules and stuff like that are uh, really strange here because uh, of the city that we live in and the nature of the musicians that play. Uh, in a lot of these bands, or will play in a lot of these bands, they're blue-collar guys, so they they work shift work. It's all over the place. Like you can't you can't say, "Hey, can you come here on whatever time Saturday?" Right? And they they have no idea whether they can do that or not. Not because they can't commit, but their day job has to come first, right? If they get asked to work on, something, they're going to go there. And uh, I work in music and music production and theater production. So I don't know if I can work on Saturday either. Work on music on Saturday, so that makes that night. Yeah, like um, I think yesterday all day I was out somewhere. Uh, Tomorrow night I'll be out at a gig, uh, unloading or loading the gigantic gig that's here this week, which is a country guy called Luke Combs. Oh, yeah, he's really popular. Yeah, I'll be working at that one. So, um, and, uh, I'll probably do a couple of, uh, fill in gigs for some of the younger bands around. Um, I got asked to do that. Uh, people ask me to play guitar quite a bit around here, especially, uh, because of, uh, Sophist, too. They, they can see, uh, that I could be a good addition, right? And, uh, in my past, I played in quite a few different bands. Um, way, way back, a uh, considerable, considerable number of bands, but probably since the 2010s, there's been four um, that I've worked with, which was uh, Death Assembly. I did an album with them. Um, Dead Cold, I think I did two records over there. And then Sadistic Embodiment, I did four EPs over there. I think four EPs in a year wow. over there. And then, uh, and all those, uh, I think all those you can hear on streaming sites. And then, uh, I got asked to, uh, or invited to join Sophist after they did the first EP. And I liked the idea that it was just going to be, uh, a studio thing and it could be more, it sounded more anything gozy than these other kind of bands, right? Um, these other bands were pretty uh, pretty limited in what they their scope, right? This is what we want to do. We know that you can do this. Do this here. And and uh, they, there was no experimenting there or anything like that. Let's try this. Let's try that. It was out of the question there. They just wanted straight up do this. And uh, we know you can do that. So just do that. And there was no growth there at all. They, all those records all sound the same to me. They do. Yeah. 
different people involved, but the guitars all sound the same. Nothing's changed. <laughs> so you know, with like, office, what is the writing like thematically? Like, what do you write about? What are the themes? Yeah, I mean, lyrically. Um, yeah, I mean, one thing is we've, uh, like, I, I guess I should say, I've never uh, published our lyrics, and that was always the intention from the beginning. Um, initially, and this probably stems from the kind of stuff I was writing about in some of the previous death metal bands, it was just uh, kind of continuation, like almost uh, fantastical um, or occult themes uh, having to do with, like, alchemy and stuff. And then uh, on the uh, the first album, Dissolution, there's lots of uh, nihilism and despair and hopelessness for humanity. Um, then... Uh, you said you did that one before the pandemic? Um, yes, because it was released in February 2020. Okay. Yeah. I was like, that would be very uh, interesting time. It is kind of interesting timing, like, you know, hmm... Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, then after that, um, that's kind of a transition period on Putrid Faction. Still, some of the same previous themes. Um, started to talk more about uh, politics, and then uh, since then, it's mostly been uh, political themes. Okay. Anything to add, Helge? Um, the lyrics, we're not that involved in writing the lyrics. We do the string work on the, on the recordings. Mm-hmm. Me and uh, Michael do that. Okay. So just like anyone who might be interested in the technical end of, of that part, we, uh, we were tuned down to, I think, B standard. And this new album, we came up a whole step to C standard, but I used the seven string on uh, some of them uh, on two records. I think we used seven strings for those. And then this one's down to, uh, to C standard. And it, that's a six string, this uh, old relic guitar that I have that I used for that. And the new one, I think I'm going to try to use eight strings if they oh, agree not- yeah, if they agree, it's going to be, there's going to be some eight string stuff on it. Oh, wow, cool. So when yeah. you get together and record, is it, do you actually get together or do you do some things remotely and share it with each other through the mixing and, and go back and forth? The actual well, record, the actual recording's done in person. Oh, that's um, cool. Basically, how it starts, I basically plan and map out the, uh, the skeleton of the songs um, and kind of get them prearranged um, and then uh, after they've had time to uh, write their parts and uh, work on that then uh, then we meet up and uh, record and that's true when we're all living in the city but now uh, now that Michael's moved to uh, to Kamloops um, I mean, what happened last year was we came down during the summer, and uh, then we recorded all his parts for 
the, the new EP, Avenger Liberator. Um, and then uh, that's probably what we're going to do again uh, this year because we already have uh, some new uh, new skeletons ready to go. So. You guys have been busy. <laughs> yeah, so Michael drove in uh, and he and I were in contact over over like video chats and stuff like that. So he'll he'll tell me what ideas he has for which tracks. And when we're working in these, these are called you know track one, two, three, four, five, whatever. And he'll tell me, okay, in this in this track, I kind of want to do this. And he'll show me um, and tell me what he's playing there. And then I'll write it out in tablature. And uh, then when he's doing his sessions, whatever downtime there is, I'll make sure that the tab tabulatures are correct. Because usually there's just enough time to get through his stuff. Mm-hmm. What he's going to lay down first. Because usually he's only here for a weekend. So asking somebody to do guitar like what we're doing and then do the bass guitar stuff for that record all in one weekend is a pretty tall order, right? And if you... I'm here in the same city as uh, Davis, so I can go back and, and do those tracks later, provided we stay kind of organized. Then it won't be uh, a, it, it'll make it easier if we stay organized. So then I'll I'll usually uh, try to write whatever supplemental parts um, before we have Michael in to record, and uh, I'll just make sure that they're going to work out. Like I'll be there and and be thinking in my head that they're they're going to work out or any changes that he's going to make i'll uh write that out in tabulature and write notes about it so that when i get my turn to come in i can be that much more prepared instead of uh wondering like when when did we do this how did we do this because last time i think we did michael's tracks in july davis yeah and then I came in in February, March, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that was that, a bit of a break, yeah. Yeah, that's a long time to forget how to do this stuff, right? So I did maintenance on it. I double-checked everything kind of thing. And I think it went smooth last time, Davis, because <laughs> we did uh, – we had good notes. Yeah. We were quite technical. Uh, on, my, on my end of it, I um, – Make sure I, I'm going to be prepared because it's frustrating if you can't, uh, mm-hmm. if you don't know what's the matter with something like you, uh, music that's played at this speed. If you don't know what's, it can take a little while to figure out what's the matter with something. And usually it's just a note, one note's missing or one note's been added. It throws the whole thing out of time. Mm-hmm. And uh, that can happen because you just remember it differently than what's there, right? Um, that, I don't think it's happened before, but it, it did happen where we made changes that weren't written down and those changes we forgot, or I forgot that those changes had been made. So I kind of was a little bit caught, caught by surprise went in, but I still, I still got it done. And I think with your classical training, like you're saying, you write everything out in tablature, um, you're able to really take good notes. That That's really, you know, key for, for the group so that you're able to, you know, come back at a later time and, you know, polish things, add, you know, accompaniment. Sounds amazing. 
and then he can practice it to uh, at home instead of showing up and trying to, you know, trying trying to play this thing for the first time in six months or whatever, you know, like yeah. last. <clears throat> that that how are you going to do that? Some of these things are pretty brisk. I don't know if you heard much of the records, but some of this stuff is at a pace that you you should really practice it. <laughs> so, so it kind of becomes like a muscle memory while you're yeah. while you're doing it. Practice it at a slower pace for a little while first. That's a good point because I do have a quick clip from the dissolution record uh, called "Watching from Below." So here's a quick clip of some of the earlier stuff right here. Yeah, so it's very chaotic as you were talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty quick. Like you you don't have a lot of time to, you know, um, there can't be any doubts in your mind what you're what you're trying to do. Like, um, is it this note or is it that note? There's no time for that. You have to know. And uh, I think my job in, in Sophist has always been to try and make it sound like bigger, include some ensemble playing and stuff. So I'll write, like, additional parts and work those out here at my house before I ever go back over there, back to David's house, Davis's house. Now, Davis, um, you mentioned that uh, you use a drum machine. Uh, is there a particular reason for that? Is it just you can't find a drummer out there, or is it just you prefer that type of uh, approach? Um, yeah, I mean, for whatever reason, I've always been not opposed to the use of drum machines. I've always been interested in a number of bands that actually make use of them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I know some people are pretty, uh, not interested in that, um, but, you know, I think probably the, the biggest thing was, like, uh, with an Elm track, obviously that's all programmed drums, uh, for the recorded stuff anyways, so it's just, like, uh, I think that, that probably showed me, like, a number of years ago that, like, yeah, you can, you can do this and, uh, you can make it sound really good. Um, you know, of course, I'm not saying our stuff is anywhere <laughs> near their level, but, um, yeah, that was probably, I guess, the, the impetus for that. And, uh, I don't know, like, uh, I think if, uh, if we did decide to go live one day, then maybe we would probably look more at, uh, a real drummer, but, uh, He's going to have to really work. Now. We, we actually saw a duo. It was a local band. Remember? Well, they weren't local. They were from uh, Washington, but they were they used sound machines, yeah. basically, and drum machines, and it was just a pair of them. The one guy would sing. The other guy was doing all his work on it. It was pretty fucking amazing. Yeah, yeah and I'm also talking about that. That was, um, what are they called? We it's just saw while. them. It's been a while. But there, this was um, when... Um, like before the pandemic and it was the local band here. They had that um, battle of the bands. It mm -hmm. was a guitarist 
and a bassist and a drum machine. And they had it all programmed and figured out. And it worked fine. I mean, I don't see any problem, especially if you can, um, you know, you've been practicing with it for so long, you can even incorporate more into the stage production too, to have it like that. Oh, at the heart of the world. Okay. That was the one, that's the one from Washington. Um, we just saw yeah. them um, a couple of months ago. And um, it's a very interesting band, but that's the thing. Like, I personally have no problem with drum machines. I think it's cool. You know, yeah. especially if you're a studio band, it's not really that important that that's what you're just doing. You know, I mean, live, it's like I know it becomes a problem sometimes with live because you're trying to find a drummer who can actually keep pace, you know, realistically with what's going on on the record. But yeah, I don't have a problem. I've probably listened to a dozen bands that use that kind of stuff. So and I'm a big Emma Nasty fan too. So <laughs> clearly, no problem. I don't know if we're going to find a drummer that can. <laughs> You're going to have to like search the depths of hell to find that guy. I, uh, I travel uh, a little bit. Like I have relatives in Germany and stuff like that. So, and I travel around Europe sometimes and uh, I go to Mexico sometimes. I've seen some pretty crazy drummers, but I'm not sure I could think of any off the top of my head that could cover that what we're doing mm -hmm. um so it's yeah. important to uh, maybe not think of uh having a live drummer all the time because you're gonna see more and more bands break away from it um right now in studio production lots of times Everything's just record programmed with plugins. Why do you think that is? Uh, it's cheaper. Uh, you can do it in your grandma's basement, and no one would ever know because you could do it with your headphones on, and you could program drums all night in your granny's basement, and you'll never even wake her up from her nap. <laughs> you know. Whereas you could have. You could bring in a drummer with a monster drum kit and stuff like that, you know, and rent a gigantic big room, rent all the mics. Um, <laughs> some kid sitting there watching levels, you know, for you while you get everything done, while you handle the music side of it and stuff like that. And it's not going to sound, it may sound better, maybe, but that's a lot of trouble to go through for if it, might sound better. Right. Maybe it'll sound better. I think probably the logical step for this would be if we, like for the new stuff we're working on, is if I decided to hire a, a session drummer just to record the stuff. That'd probably be the most logical thing to do if we do if, uh, if we did decide to do real drums. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, see how that turned out, I guess. Um, but uh, as far as earlier stuff goes, I mean, I consciously chose to, like, make it a little bit over the top. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, as far as trying to recreate that, uh, could be difficult. Not impossible, but very difficult. Yeah, vastly, yeah. One thing I noticed about the production between the first two records and the new EP is the new EP sound a little bit more fuller. Was that kind of intentional? Like, was that did you approach it differently production-wise? Sorry, it sounded more... 
Uh, Fuller. Like, oh, Fuller, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, like, I think... I think that, uh, you know, I probably made some, like, some uh, mistakes on the early stuff that I, you know, wish I could turn back time and fix. But, uh, you know, you... You learn how to do things better as you go and uh, go from there. I mean, I think, you know, probably I like the sound of our first DP and dissolution the most. I think uh, probably could have done a better job on Putrid Faction. Um, and I think probably Avenger Liberators are best stuff yet. And uh, I'm looking forward to... Uh, to the new stuff we're working on now, how that's going to turn out in the end. So, Yeah, I did notice on the new EP that you talked about kind of going a little bit more deathy, and I do hear that a lot. And I do have a little taste, tasty morsel from your new EP. It's called uh, Piercing the Nerve Center. Everybody's getting better at their job here. <laughs> that's what that's what's happening. Like for for every subsequent recording, everything's going to be a little bit better at it. Everyone's going to be a little bit better at their job, and we're going to know like what's going to fly and what's not going to fly. Even though we don't really have, the, I don't get too many limitations put on what what I want to do. Um, but I usually bring um, as many options as I can think of when I come to do my parts. And my parts are kind of like enhancement parts. Like the rhythm skeleton's already done there by Michael. And uh, so I'll... Um, this time I learned all, everything that he had there already. And then I wrote supplemental parts like additional parts to that right and um that was one of the little parts that i think uh we came up with together in the in the room davis right yeah yeah that was one thing we wanted to do there was add more uh you know add more melody over top of chords and uh um, definitely want to keep doing that uh, in the future. Give the songs yeah, more depth. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really good. Um, Michael's not here tonight, but I had a question for her because I did, like, when I was reading up on you guys, I did see a lot of your influences and the bands you like, so that's why I asked. Napalm Death's like one of our favorite bands, but I know that Michael is an old man's child fan. And I've been a fan of Galder's work for quite a while, so I was hoping to ask him like what his favorite record was, but he's not here. We'll put it in the comments, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm a I'll big fan too. And uh, my favorite one was uh, Vermin. Okay. Yeah, I was yeah. always a big uh, Pagan Prosperity guy. But uh, I was always curious. Because like, not many people mention him. They always think of like Demu or something like that. And, yeah, I liked Vermin. 
I like the drummer on Vermin. He was really good. I'm trying to come up with his name right now. Is Remy something? Rem? I can't remember. Yeah. That guy, that record was just killer drumming on it. Killer. Yeah, I like the Pagan. I mean, I like a lot of his stuff. I like the In Defiance of Existence, too. That was a really good album. Great yep. artwork on that. Um, so, Davis, you, you mentioned Cacao, and uh, I've been following that band for a while. I actually talk to him occasionally. He sends me promo stuff whenever he puts stuff out. Oh, um, sick. That's awesome. Yeah. So, when you when something was mentioned about that band, I you know, kind of looking back, and like the one thing I was wondering about is the philosophies between both bands is different. So does that ever come to a conflict with you when you write? Like, because you're a fan of them, obviously. Do you see conflict there with the philosophies, or can you just bypass that and say that he's he and I'm me? You know? I mean, depends what kind of philosophy you're talking about. <laughs> well, I think they're a little bit more, uh, I don't want to say Christian, but like they're just a little bit more light. Like, it's not really. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean. Thing. No, I, they, they, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I've, I think I've noticed changes in there. I mean, I guess particularly Jeff, you know, I think I've seen, you know, through his, his work, I've seen changes and oscillations in, uh, what he believes, I guess. Um, I've, you know, I've interacted a bit with them before. Like I've been, there was a point in time I was on the same, uh, like uh web forum as them. Um yeah, I mean I think I take a lot of inspiration from their philosophy towards um music. I certainly don't have the, the skill or talent to match what uh what they can do. <laughs> but um I I like their attitude towards music and what they've created. Um as far as their uh spiritual beliefs and stuff. I uh I guess I don't uh don't really agree. Um I mean there was a, a was a point in time where um you know I was yeah. uh I was a Christian but that's uh, a long time ago and I I uh left all that behind cuz it was just uh yeah, I mean, I grew up in a Christian household, so I know the pain. Like, I just didn't do much for me. Uh, yeah, I was just curious, though, because, you know, you are a fan of the project, and that was just interesting, the different approaches to it uh, thematically. You said that this was Malaysian? Indonesia. Yeah, I think or they Indonesian? are, yeah. Indonesian? Indonesia. Yeah. yeah. I just, it surprises me um, the, 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 they're Christian. Well, I don't know if they're necessarily Christian Christian. They're just like, you know, sophists sing about a cult and, and themes like that where these guys sing about different things, uh, a little bit more lighthearted, I guess. Uh, so when it comes to the music industry, obviously, you know, how you, you work a little bit closer with all the venues and stuff. Uh, if you could change anything within the metal industry, what would you do? Like, it could be anything from the streaming and downloading to uh, promoting, what would you change? Um, something that's bothered me for a while, and I'm probably going to catch some smoke about it. Is they don't want idea. that smoke, man. They don't want that smoke. 
the idea that you can have a five band bill. Okay, so there's five five bands going to play on this local bill, and uh, three of those bands have been in the local scene here for ten years or more. And it's like, well, you guys just kind of, you know, and these guys have been around for long enough. They can just kind of cherry pick all the nice, good shows, shows on long weekends, stuff like that. And there'll be three of those bands on a five-band bill. Mm-hmm. Then there's going to be a band that's been around not quite as long, three years, five years. And then maybe there'll be two of those, and, and not one band will have young people in it. Not one band will have kids in it. You know, kids who are barely old enough to be in a bar or uh, playing a show, you know, like uh, I think I played shows when I was 14, maybe. Mm-hmm. And uh, now I would like to see some of those bands that have been around for 10 years or more. You can, you can do it. You can afford it. You can go on a tour. Go Go tour. Go on a tour and let's see some of these five band bills um, in everybody's scene, not just ours here, but in every scene around. Let's let's have three of those bands be kids, and by kids I mean like under thirty, mm-hmm. like kids that are under thirty, just starting out. Where are they going to gain the experience? Um, when are they going to get to uh, to show what they can do, you know? And how are they going to graduate to touring um, if they never even have the chance to play those first hundred shows that they need to play to uh, be ready to go on tour? You know? Yeah, I think that's always been my biggest gripe with Metallica because I saw them for the first time in 2001. And, you know, they played a lot of the good classic stuff, but... The bill itself with all the openers. I mean, it's not like I have a pretty wide range of rock and metal taste. So it's not that I'm necessarily bothered by Kid Rock or Corn or whatever, but it, it, to me, it was like a missed opportunity for Metallica to actually showcase bands that I felt could have used the help. Uh, would yep. you agree with that sentiment? Yep, I would. Yeah. And um, like, if you looked at when Death Angel, uh, First released Ultraviolence. Mm-hmm. Have you seen a promo picture of Death Angel when they released? I think they were like around 14 or 15, right? At the time? Yeah. They looked like they shouldn't have even been out of the house. <laughs> they couldn't, couldn't, have, couldn't even have a beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. And how many, maybe we don't have a band that good in our scene. Or that could has that potential. I think, I think, we may never know if the old boys keep cherry picking all these, all these good gigs. You know, any gig that comes up, the first, the last three bands on that gig have to be, you know, got guys in their late thirties and early forties, you know, or even older than that. And I just think, go tour, and let these younger kids play a few shows. Like, yeah, how many yeah. bands like that don't we know about because of this kind of uh, failing to expose or show younger bands, showcase younger bands? On a five-band bill, there should be three of them on there. You know, the headliner should be an old boy band, sure. Okay, 
because the promoter's got to have something he can count on, right? Right. Uh, I still think out of a five-band bill or a six-band bill, half of them should be brand new, like out for a year, a year and a half, under under 20, uh, under 25 for sure. You know, and, uh, a band like, like that old school Death Angel, 1983, I think. Yeah. Would have never had a chance in a system like what we, we see around some of these, uh, some of these scenes around North America. Yeah, it's a laptop today. There's a band close to us, uh, from DC called Needles. They're like a grindcore death band and, they're pretty young, but they, uh, they're just still doing local shows. They don't get put on many big bills. And it's, it's a shame, man, like, cause they're really good. So it's like, you know, put them on their bill for a night. How are they gaining experience? You know, if they play six, six shows a year, you right. know, mm-hmm. uh, that band, that kid, those young people in Europe, they might be playing, they might be playing. Uh, six shows in two months over there. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's a lack of uh, younger people interested in being bands, or do you just think that they're not getting the exposure to? Nah, it's it's I basically think- like, the, the thing is like the internet has been a good and a bad thing. It's, it gives you awareness of a lot of bands you probably wouldn't have discovered mm-hmm. like online, but now you have a saturation of all these artists coming out, and there's a lot of good ones, but like these bigger bands out there like Metallica that don't use their platform they want to make the money which they would make anyway but they don't want to help the little guy they, yeah, they, they say to themselves but they say it's not their responsibility I'm like you're, you're fucking crazy man like, it is your see, responsibility not, I, I hate that because if we went to Oz Fest when Oz Fest was just kind of in its infancy mm-hmm. I mean and Ozzy always had like a local stage, a second stage, and then they put lots of different bands that may not have been as popular, at least around us. There was always like a local stage or a um like second stage. Then later in the night when Ozzy was coming on, there might be like two other larger bands. The problem with Ozzy is it wasn't until the later years he started actually adding bands like, you know, Cradle of Filth or Nile or something. It's like he probably should have started long ago with something that he let the kids decide who was gonna be on. So you had all these New metal acts and you know just a little bit more ear candy stuff. So it's, I get it to a degree, but then I'm like, man, it's just like a missed opportunity with some of these bands. And I mean, I'm glad that some of the more uh, ground to earth bands, like you know Overkill or, or even Death Angel, they're gonna take out bands that are, you know, at least deserve a shot, as you would say. Yeah, there's um, I I've been to quite a few festivals too metal festivals and like most of the ones in Europe will have some kind of feature stage where they're showing you, okay, these are the bands you haven't heard of yet, but you still have to dig pretty deep, like go to local shows over there and really look around. Mm -hmm. And like the first time I went to Mexico metal fest, um, there's an interesting story about how I ended up there, but anyway, um, we 
I ended up at this uh, pre-party for Mexico Metal Fest at this place called Club Club Iguana or Iguana Club in Monterey, Mexico. And um, for me, that that was the takeaway of the whole thing. Like if I, the rest of it, I could have, um, I mean, the headliner was Emperor, pretty awesome. But yeah. um, the takeaway for me, the favorite part of that whole thing was the pre-party and the after-party. Because the bands that played there, were uh, there was a couple that were playing the festival, but most of them weren't yet how you can say big enough yet in the game to play that festival. Um, but they were still awesome. And, uh, they were world-class bands playing at that thing. Yeah. Yeah. And they had a smaller stage there too. I think I might be wrong, but I think torture squad from Brazil was the, uh, headliner of the small stage. Maybe that first year I went, Mm. um, or, very close to being the headliner. And for me, the takeaway was who is torture squad. That was about half an hour before they played. I was like, okay, who is torture squad? And after I was, that band is so good. I was uh, mad at myself for not knowing who they were before that show. That's how you discover bands sometimes. Uh, That's what's a great thing about it. I was mad at myself for being so uncool. I had never heard of torture. <laughs> How did I miss this band? What about you, yep. Davis? Now, before you uh, answer that question, Davis, like, has anyone told you you kind of look like a young Izon at all? Uh, a who? I, I, Izon, Izon from Emperor. Oh, oh, okay. no, nobody's ever said that. When honestly, when I had long hair, because I used to have hair that was uh, at least halfway down my back, I used yeah, to, I used to look too. more like Corpse Grinder. To be honest, oh. uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, no one's ever said that. Um, just you. Just you. <laughs> um, hopefully, it's a compliment. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think one observation, just to talk to uh, speak to what you guys were talking about, was uh, yeah. I mean, I think it can take 10, 15, 20 years for a metal band to really get notoriety. Um, especially on any kind of international level. It's definitely a long slog. Um, as far as things I would change about the music industry, um, I mean, probably the biggest thing would be streaming. Um, I think I think streaming in and of itself is probably a positive development. However, the problem is that it's you know, it's basically controlled by like a private cartel. It's basically monopolized. And I think that, you know, if it was basically, you know, that those platforms were basically turned into some kind of public utility and, uh, you know, almost kind of like a music library everybody's got access to. I think, uh, I think that'd be, uh, a big benefit. Uh, just to, to everybody. Um, and I think, you know, we could, uh, figure out ways to make sure artists get paid fairly instead of, mm-hmm. uh, some CEOs, um, you know, making 
ridiculous amount of profit off of uh, off all of this. There have been some larger, like, you know, pop stars who have taken their stuff off of Spotify and all. They're like, why yeah, is that? Yeah, but they're getting a lot more money than but Metal guys. <laughs> But what they're saying, though, is it's so bad even for them oh, yeah. with yeah. their millions of listens that it's, the like you're saying, the CEOs are making all the money. And it, it's... It is kind of like some kind of cartel. It's like they're controlling everything. They take the money from the top, and you get five cents a listen. It's never changed, man. It's just different now. Like back then, same thing. I mean, Barney went through it with earache, and they just—they uh, get tired of shit. <laughs> so, for Sophist, what is the immediate plans in the future for you guys? Yeah, I mean, uh, we're going to be doing some more recording in August, I think. Um, I might try to get a couple more, uh, more tracks planned out and ready to go. Um, before then we'll see. We've got five right now and they're, they're actually a little longer this time. Um, four or five minute range, all of them. Um, so yeah, it should be interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, just going to keep doing what we're doing. That was always the goal. Just make as much music as possible. We really enjoy it. And, uh, and uh you know hopefully people uh people like it as well yeah hopefully uh they'll check this video out and everyone will check you guys out uh before we let you go i want to say thank you for taking the time to sit down with us and do this i much appreciate you guys for that uh say hello to michael for us is there anything you'd like to say before we end this uh yeah i mean thanks a lot for having us on um you know uh, it's always nice to have uh Opportunities like this to uh, Where share our stuff. Where can find you? Yeah, um, yeah, you can check us out just uh, sophismetal.com or uh, just search Sophist on Bandcamp. We're also on all uh, all streaming platforms, uh, YouTube, etc. So just uh, search us up and check us out. Yeah, I'll put some of those links in our upload, and then when we share, I'll do the same thing. Uh, again, guys, thank you very much for taking the time. Uh, just hold on a second for us. We're going to say our goodbyes after this is done recording. For the rest of you watching, please go check these guys out. They're very awesome, very cool dudes. Very creative. Very hardworking. So uh, support the metal scene and go check these guys out and give them some likes. So again, Thanks, for guys. Thanks for having us. And uh, we'd like to come back uh, once we have something new for you. Absolutely, man. We'd love to have you back anytime. All right. right. Thank you all, and uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks, guys. And we're getting ready to get out of here.